بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and a very warm welcome to another edition of Revival in Motion الحمد لله we find ourselves at the start of another school or madrasa, an academic year. Many of our children returning shortly to school or madrasa, perhaps university or even hifd um, or ulum studies. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy for our loved ones. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect them and place plenty of barakah in their time, in their efforts and in their learning. Ameen. Later on in today's program, we hear from Khadija Muhammad. Khadija is a psychological counsellor, life coach and an educator working with grades 8 and 9. Today, inshallah, she will be sharing with us more on how to navigate the teenage years. More on that coming up later on in today's program, inshallah. But in the first two segments of this hour, we focus on preparing our hearts for the month of Ramadan. In less than 80 days, yes, you heard right, in less than 80 days, we will inshallah be welcoming in the month of Ramadan. And in welcoming that, it's time for us to focus once again on how we are preparing. How do we prepare our hearts for this month? And so we're going to go back to something really basic and important. And this is about good deeds. Asking the question, what are good deeds? As we start, um, you know, introspecting, going inward, looking at what we need to do more of, better of, differently. How can we improve and maximize with our good deeds? But let's start by understanding what are good deeds? Now, all the scholars of Islam have agreed that good deeds are one of the pillars of faith and a witness to the integrity of Tawheed because there is no indication or sign that represents the meaning of the two shahadas in reality except for a person's behavior, their morals, their commitment and their adherence to orders and to abstain from evil and prohibitions. Good deeds are a true witness to the stability of faith in our hearts. Rather, it is one of the fruits of faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in His Messenger Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and in the last day. That is why it is well known in a saying that is attributed to Al-Hasan al-Basri where he said, Faith is not by embellishment or wishful thinking, but it is what settles in the heart and is verified through your works. Then he added, Whoever says good but does not do good will have his words judged by his deeds. Whoever says good and does good will have his words raised by his deeds. This is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, To him ascends the good word, and the righteous deed raises it. Now this saying is famous in the books of Deen, and it symbolizes that apparent work is the reality of faith, because it is a pillar of faith, as well as a witness to it, a guide to it. 
So let us work on understanding the definition of a good deed. A good deed is that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it combines two things. The first, that it be in accordance with Islamic law. And the second, that it be intended to please and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if the deed lacks one or both of these, it is not pleasing to Allah. And so there is no reward for it. A good deed is represented in the acts of worship, in obedience and obligations that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded his servants to do. And it also represents the reason for their creation and existence on earth. In the book of Al-Iban Al-Kubra by Ibn Bakr, it was stated that the meaning of good deeds is worship that is intended to please Allah and to gain Allah's eternal paradise. So these are two important aspects that we must constantly remember and that worship is action and action is part of faith. We must remember that worship, ibadah, is a service and that service is work. We must remember that salah, zakat, sawm, hajj, every means of nearness to Allah and good deeds are all referred to as religion. And so religion or deen is the righteous deeds that conforms to the principles of iman that were brought by the messengers alayhimussalam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Anbiya, Ayah 25, And we sent not before you any messenger, except we reveal to him that there is no deity except Allah. So worship Allah. And as we learned this most powerful declaration in Surah Al-An'am, Ayah 162, Indeed, my prayer my rights of sacrifice, my living and my dying are for Allah, Lord of the worlds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us in Surah Al-An'am, Ayat 71 and 72, And we have been commanded to submit to the Lord of the worlds and to establish salah and fear him. And it is he to whom you will be gathered. So it reminds us that our deen and the ways in which we live our lives and our worship, all acts of worship, are to be an obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding and may Allah grant us the diligence and the consistency, the istiqamah in all the good deeds that we do. We ask Allah to fill our hearts with hope, hope of acceptance with the fear of not being accepted, as Allah says in Surah Al-Mu'minun, Ayah 60, and they who give what they give while their hearts are fearful. And in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 27, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, Indeed, Allah only accepts from the righteous who fear Him. May Allah make us of those who fear Him. 
Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Join us after the break as we continue with preparing our hearts for Ramadan. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah. And part of the good deeds that we intend to do and may Allah accept our intention and fulfill it with action and sincerity is that of forgiveness. It is one of the most beautiful and powerful ways and sincere ways to prepare our hearts, our minds and bodies for the month of Ramadan. You see, a great deal of provision comes with seeking forgiveness. Here is a beautiful story. A woman said, My husband passed away while I was in my thirties, and I had five children, boys and girls from him. My world turned dark around me, and I wept until I feared I would lose my sight. I complained about my bad luck and fell into despair and depression. My children were small, and our income was not sufficient. I was spending carefully from the little money that their father had left for us. One day in my room, I turned on the radio. I heard a sheikh saying, Rasulullah said, Whoever prays to Allah a great deal for forgiveness, Allah will grant him relief from every distress and a way out. <clears throat> from every hardship. So after that, I began to pray a great deal for forgiveness and I told my children to do likewise. Only six months later, the developers came. They bought some old property of ours and paid us millions for it. My son became the first student in his region to memorize the entire Quran and he became the focus of people's care. Our home was filled with blessings and we attained the best standard of living. Allah has kept all my sons and daughters safe and sound and has taken away my worry, grief and depression. I have become the happiest of women. And so the lesson is, if you give in to despair, you will learn nothing and you will never find happiness. And you will improve your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because salah and death both are nothing but a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And before we go for our next break, a reminder of some beautiful du'as for us to constantly make. Allahumma inni as'aluka husna al-khatima. Oh Allah, I ask you for a good ending. Allahumma inni as'aluka husna al-khatima. Oh Allah, I ask you for a good ending. Allahumma inni as'aluka husna al-khatima. Oh Allah, I ask you for a good ending. And another dua that we should, as per the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, recite often. Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulub thabbit qalbi ala deenik Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulub thabbit qalbi ala deenik O Allah, O turner of hearts keep my heart firm on your religion Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulub thabbit qalbi ala deenik 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those, inshallah, who remember him, praise him, seek from him, ask of him, increase in our forgiveness and in our good deeds and in appreciation to him for all the gifts he has given us. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Coming up in the next segment, we introduce and welcome you to our guest who will be uh, discussing more on navigating the teenage years. I'll share with you more about that after this break. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah, for many learners, high school is a time of self-discovery, of new beginnings and peer pressure. Today, we look at some of the topics that high school learners face. Our guest today is a psychological counsellor life coach, and an educator to grades 8 and 9 students. She takes us through more about navigating the teenage years. Khadija Muhammad is our guest for today, and we say assalamu alaikum, welcome to Radio Islam. Wonderful to have you joining us on the program. And perhaps if we can start by asking, high school can be an exciting yet terrifying time for many. And by the end of January, most learners would have settled into the first term, many learners will still experience anxiety. So what are the signs, Khadija, and the symptoms of anxiety? And when should one seek professional help? Or can they try methods at home to help ease this feeling? Tell us more. Assalamu alaikum and jazakallah so much for having me on the show. With regard to anxiety and teens and returning back to school, it is quite natural for teens to feel some degree of back to school stress, even if they are excited to return. But when that nervousness does not go away or crosses over into fully fledged anxiety in school, that's when we know that our teens need that extra support. Anxiety disorders in teenagers are somewhat increasingly common and school and stress seem to go hand in hand for many students. But the anxiety at school has increased since the pandemic and more and more kids are struggling with behavioral and mental health issues. And in particular, high school anxiety is definitely on the rise. In general, you know, anxiety disorders are the most common common of the mental health disorders of childhood and and adolescence. Can school give you anxiety? I would say yes, but there is a significant difference between temporary anxiety over school and an anxiety disorder that requires professional treatment. If a child's anxiety is connected with school, they may go through what's known as school refusal, refusal to get out of bed, um, refusal to get ready in the morning, and that's when therapists hear from parents concerned about the fact that, you know, my child won't go to school because of anxiety. But teens with anxiety disorders, they struggle with feelings of tension and fear. And these symptoms are ongoing and interfere with daily activities. And when these symptoms affect relationships with peers and family members, that's when we should actually start seeing that something needs to be done. While there are different types of teen anxiety disorders, many of these disorders manifest into a set of common symptoms. And some of these symptoms um, in teens 
would be loss of interest in activities that they used to enjoy, you know, withdrawing from social interactions, if they're having trouble sleeping at night, um, but often seem fatigued during the day also, a little bit of a loss or maybe a great loss of appetite or some kind of changes in their eating habits. Uh, difficulty in concentrating is a big one. Um, teenagers need, they tend to have extreme mood swings. Uh, when there is a performance step in school, some poor report cards, poor testing results. And um, a very common one is unexplained physical complaints such as stomach aches or headaches. And many times these adolescents or these teens also express feelings of hopelessness, of despair, of worthlessness. Some of them resort to drugs and drinking as forms of self-medication for this anxiety. And then they even start avoiding people, places and the things that trigger um, this anxious feelings. And these kind of symptoms warrant an assessment by a mental health professional. They are other ways of trying to uh, subdue or trying to contain um, the anxiety with in-house or with um, at-home methods that parents could try also. And um, parent role modeling is one. Parents can help their teens learn how to deal with anxiety in school by serving as role models for stress management. Breathing exercises is my favorite. Breathing exercises are proven to have a calming effect on the nervous system by just simply taking in, you know, three slow deep breaths and this kind of triggers the body's relaxation response and quietens down that fight or flight response. Journaling, an absolute one that really works very well. Writing in a journal is another evidence-based tool for stress relief. You know, we should encourage our children to write a little bit about um, their day, about what they are experiencing as a way of kind of interpreting and making sense of their emotions. It's great when they write it all down. Some self-care strategies, sleep and good nutrition go a long way in uh, alleviating teenage anxiety. Also highlighting the positive, help your children to kind of recall some good times from the past, include fun times that they had at school, uh, positive moments, what is happening right now and what can happen in the future. Um, some yoga, meditation, a lot of thicker, um, those kind of practices definitely reduce stress. Let's try spending time with good friends. Close friends can help teens deal with their anxiety and even connecting with family. We have such um, busy school year schedules that we it keeps sometimes family apart, families apart, and everyone has always somewhere to be or some place to be or something to do. So make a point of eating together at least one or two nights during the week, and you know put away those devices and sit down and enjoy your meeting or eating together and as a result meals become a time for each family member to share what's been going on in their day and in their week also getting out into nature spending time outdoors it has been proven to reduce levels of stress levels of depression and definitely anxiety some positive visualization you know um is a, it's a powerful tool for enhancing teen mental health and um you know Parents, finally, you know, they can even ask their kids or their teen what would support them into this transition back to school or how can they make it more easy for them. They might have their own very specific ideas about what would be helpful for them. Maybe sometimes, you know, it can be even a new outfit that would feel especially, that they would feel maybe especially confident in or um, having an after-school plan in place for the first 
few days of school or for the first few weeks of school that might be relaxing for them, a family activity, a get-together with a close friend. So there are very many ways uh, that you can treat anxiety um, at home or at home methods as well, yes. Alhamdulillah, shukran for that, Khadija. Um, perhaps let's focus a little now on boundaries. The current grade eights are at a point in life where they are not small children anymore, but now becoming teens. And it is a time of change, both physical and mental change. Many will start to test boundaries and while we know that testing of boundaries is not necessarily a bad thing, at times it can lead one down a rabbit hole. As parents, where do we draw the line on this, on this need of testing boundaries? And perhaps if you could, tell us a bit more about why do teens feel the need to test their boundaries as well? So there may be parents who are not entirely comfortable with this idea of, of teens testing boundaries. And I'd like if you could take us through that of, of why boundaries are being tested. And perhaps if as parents or caregivers, we have a better understanding of that, that can help shift our perspective and how we approach this testing of boundaries season as well, please. Interesting question, testing boundaries. Testing boundaries is, it's normal. It's normal teenage behavior. And no matter how good your relationship is with your child, they may still float the boundaries. You know, impulsive behavior, the influence of their peers, poor decision making, these kind of things are the ones that often lead to boundary testing um, limits. And all emotionally healthy kids test limits. It's a normal thing for kids to, to do as they develop. And in my opinion, it's actually a good thing for them to do. Problems often emerge when parents don't feel comfortable setting limits in the first place or when kids don't learn to negotiate for changes in those limits and act out instead. And kids certainly develop different ways of testing limits that can be inappropriate and um, unacceptable. But I believe part of the job for parents is to train their kids how to accept these limits. And um, parents need to allow for their children to challenge and test limits, but in a, in a healthy way. So when your child starts to get into the teenage years, he will often begin to rebel against the limits more forcefully. And getting kids to listen is even hard because they don't think that they, they need to. They don't think that they need to, to be listening to the parents right now. Um, it's important for you to know where to draw the line. Uh, when we say draw the line, decide where the line is. Um, as a limit setter, your job is to draw the line at the point where things become unsafe and unhealthy. Sometimes you might go with your instincts and do it without thinking about it too much. If your young child is crawling towards the stove, for example, you react by getting him out of harm's way. So as kids develop, parents often employ this kind of reaction limiting set, limit uh, setting. Um, that might work well for when your child is young, but as a parent, of older kids and teens um, know that it does get much trickier as time goes by. So often your child won't understand the consequences you give them when he crosses the line. In fact, whether your child is 3 or 18, the limit setting is one of those things that he probably won't understand, won't ever understand. So instead he thinks, why can't I do what I want? I could handle it 
um, if only they'd leave me alone. You get this, you know, all the time. And if you try to get him to agree with your reasoning, you're often met with deaf ears. So I think if you want your child to accept your limits, you're asking for too much. Most kids have a whole inner monologue going on in their heads that says, you know, I can do it. It's no big deal. Why won't you let me do it? Why won't he let me do it? And as a limit setter, your attitude has to be, I'm your parent. My job is to keep you safe and healthy. This is the way it is. Don't hesitate to set firm limits in the areas of health and safety. Shukran for clarifying that and really taking us through understanding much better and elevating our understanding of, of boundary setting. Khadija, when it comes to peer pressure, many parents feel that they keep telling children that it's bad. And as our children grow older, what tips, I'm wondering, can you share with parents to help their child navigate peer pressure? when they are in that moment of why not, right? How can children themselves learn the art to navigate peer pressure? And I suppose the third part to this question would be how can children themselves, um, yeah, how, how can they now, you know, independently uh, work through that peer pressure because often more than 90% of the time those peer pressure issues are coming up when they are alone with their friends and mom and dad are not there to to help them at that time you know it's one thing to talk about that peer pressure but being in the situation is completely different and that could bring up for example a fight and flight response to children and end up making decisions that they later regret tell us more please Peer pressure, and this seems to be a very, very common question asked um, about teens during the teenage years. It's always about peer pressure, and we all want our kids to have meaningful and healthy relationships, both in personal and in work settings throughout their lives. We prepare them for this when we are loving, when we are supportive, and we have open communication in our homes. Um, but as teens navigate peer culture, parents play an important role in preparing them with the social skills that's needed to make their own smart choices and to avoid peer pressure. There are endless skills for teens to develop with their peers, skills that are needed to work effectively with um, that work effectively with people, have meaningful to have meaningful relationships, to have healthy romantic and family relationships in the future. And while peers become increasingly important during adolescence, parents continue to play a vital, vital role in in assisting kids through peer pressure. Um, the most important thing is teaching your kid your your teen or your tween to say no sparingly and really mean it. No should always mean no. No shouldn't mean maybe um, and it's okay to be unsure, but no should also always be mean no. Um, I don't know or maybe it doesn't, it doesn't actually work. So no must be no. Um, they need to be mindful. Remind your teens that Words are only a small part of the story that we tell. Body language is also a big factor, so they need to be mindful of body language. Um, it's, it's, body language is a big factor when we communicate to others. So saying no while smiling or leaning into somebody could send mixed signals. 
right? Um, they can offer alternatives. Sometimes teens may hesitate to say no because they think they will become unpopular with friends. Um, no one wants to be the odd one out, uh, like they are judging friends for their choices. So as a helpful strategy to teach teens is to offer alternatives. For example, a teen facing peer pressure, pressure to um, skip class with a friend could respond saying, uh, I'm going to class, but I'll meet up with you after school and then we can do something after that. Also reinforcing values are important. Um, practice uh, when teens have the opportunity to practice new strategies. They gain confidence in their ability to use the skills in life. Um, also model, 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 very important. Um, model how you say no clearly and definitively through your own body language and words. Let them see the way you do it. Uh, be subtle and just comment on how you navigate the world. And um, a very popular one that a lot of the kids use is the blame parent. You know, when all else fails, having um, an out to save face in front of friends can be important uh, resource. So teens can blame the parents as a way to avoid pressure to do things that they don't want to do. For example, a teen that is pressured into um, maybe punking school can say, no, you know, I can't. My mom is waiting for me. I need to get home at a certain time. And if I'm a bit late, she will know that something is not right. So I need to, um, I need to, to be home on time. I cannot punk and leave school and go anywhere else. So um, those would be the, the tips that you as a, as a parent could use to navigate peer pressure or help your kids never navigate peer pressure. But also for um, kids, the way that they could uh, resist negative peer pressure is, you know, I mean, there's lots of things that they could be pressured into, like drinking, uh, shoplifting, sneaking out of the house, vandalizing property, using drugs, all these kind of things. Stop and say no. Take a deep breath and firmly say no and get comfortable with saying no. You have a right to make your own decisions, you know. Um, avoid the circumstances where you may be tempted to use the drugs or the alcohol or to cheat or leave school. Um, you know, stay at home, be, a, be at home with your parents, um, go to places with your, out with your parents. And if you feel that this environment is not right for you, trust your gut get out. If you feel unsafe or your friend doesn't respect your decision, leave the situation immediately. Come up with a code uh, with your parents or a trusted adult that tells them that you know you need to be picked up or you need to, you need help or just say, you know, I got a bad headache, uh, come and get, can you please come and get me or I, I, need to, I need to leave. However, there's also what we call positive peer pressure and your friends can also influence you in good ways. So it's essential to surround yourself with people who support your goals and encourage you to make healthy decisions. For example, if you hang out with a group of people who take school seriously, you may be more likely to prioritize academics than you would do any other social activities. So when you have a strong support system, you'll be more motivated to succeed and make healthy choices. Wonderful, Shukran. Those were such helpful tips for us. You know, it reminds me that last year, Radio Salam had an interesting interaction and it brought up a much needed conversation when it comes to manners as an educator as well. So does the teaching of manners fall with the school, the parents, both? Uh, 
uh, why do you say so? Now, I know, and I, I want to put that disclaimer out there, there's probably a very controversial question and just as many different ideas or opinions as there are to, to, to any question about our children's education, of course. But I'm interested to hear what your opinion, your take on this is uh, as an educator, as a life coach as well, please. Interesting question, and I think many people have a difference of opinion on this question, but good discipline is one of the key attributes of a person's character. There is a difference in opinion on whose responsibility is it to guide uh, students through to have the right behavior. Uh, some people think that it's the duty of the teacher at school, whereas others consider that bringing ideal discipline in their children is totally dependent on the parents. I definitely believe that both parent and teacher uh, play a vital role in order to nurture some kind of good discipline in children in their own ways. Um, nowadays, majority of the schools have realized the importance of discipline and you know, they come up with distinct initiatives to improve the right behavior in students. So your teacher at school, instead of just focusing on studies, they now keep a track of each student's discipline. Some the big schools, it might be a little bit more difficult to do so. The schools where they are able to, um, they keep a, a record or track of the student's discipline and keep the parents apprised uh, 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 of their children's conduct in regular intervals. Um, on the other hand, parents should also spend some quality time in optimizing their child's behavior. Parents usually are the ones who show indefinite love towards children. And in that process, they will... Um, they do, they do play the greatest or the most vital role in the upbringing and in the conduct or character of the child. So, um, you know, I, uh, it's important for both the parent and the teacher to play a vital role in disciplining of the child under the circumstances. So good discipline from childhood would definitely help with the right attitude once the child has grown up. And in my opinion, um, after teachers are prov um, only after teachers providing assistance at school and parenting guide guidelines from children with children at home, in this way, elegant discipline will nurture in in children. Shukran for that, Khadija. Many parents work and they look at the school system or the madrasa or maktab system to fill in that gap of teaching children basic etiquette, basic adab. We understand that you are a life coach as well. Uh, so you know and understand that teaching is one thing but implementation is another ball game completely. My question to you is, how can we be firm with our teens when it comes to their akhlaq and their etiquette, both in the home and outside, whether at school or madrasa or with friends or elsewhere? Yeah, I know it's a, it's, a, it's a loaded question and it's something we probably cannot answer just in a few minutes, but I'd be very interested to know your take and I think from there, parents can go on to uh, explore and reflect on that further in their own home and circumstances. Okay, so your akhlaq or your character, 
These are traits that are based on beliefs that can be developed. The positive values, the belief principles, one is taught this during the formative years as a child and it has a large bearing to one's character. So these values are exemplified by people who we have relationships with, such as our parents, our grandparents, our teachers, our siblings, and our friends. Essentially, the people who we spend most of our time with. So similarly, experiencing challenging situations such as crucible episodes during one's childhood will also shape one's character. Now, um, building positive character is a process, and it is shared... um, It is a shared responsibility between parents, between teachers, and the community. Character development can be taught in schools through structured syllabus, through um, the teacher uh, just being uh, a role model. Um, It's by lead, by example, for for that matter. Um, You can be encouraging your learners to help others. Uh, You can um, teach them how to be accountable. Uh, You could um, also engage children to clean up their space um, and this is imperative in building character and a character is the cornerstone of one's personality so a person with good akhlaq will always be respected and um, the importance or the reasons why development is uh, or character uh, development is important it is because it helps or it um, assists the, the, the person or the teenager or the adolescent or adult with overcoming challenges it helps them to boost their self-esteem um, it also you know uh, teachers and parents they impart moral values um, as they desire their, their students and their children to be people with good judgment um, who are honorable who are, and who are upstanding obviously when they are adults uh, it also how, uh, teaches them to have good leadership which is a, um, a value such as teamwork, kindness, integrity, fairness, respect, and even accountability. So um, in the end, it is our character that makes us or breaks us. Shukran. This has all just been so enlightening. Um, And yeah, we, we have a few more questions, if we can, of your time, please. I'd like to talk a bit about educators and their mental health. It's a topic we don't hear about often or often enough. For educators, both in the schooling system as well as madrasa or maktab teaching system, you know, working day in and out with children coming from different backgrounds, different uh, challenges, learning challenges, social, uh, environmental challenges, it can be quite taxing on the mental health. Why would you say, as both an educator and a life coach, why is it important that educators pay more attention to their own mental health? When we speak about mental health, we must understand that mental health impacts our physical health and overall well-being as well. So someone struggling with mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, an eating disorder or an addiction can find it difficult to maintain focus, to find motivation for tasks and, you know, to even relate to your peers or your colleagues. The effect of mental health on our mood and our ability to function throughout the day can impact all aspects of our lives. So good mental health is just as important for teachers 
and students as it is for the rest of the population. Um, teaching is one of the most stressful professions. And the poor mental health of teachers isn't only a personal concern for them. It adversely affects their students' uh, levels of uh, achievement. So um, learning stress reduction techniques, uh, removing, um, you know, trying to get uh, uh, help, removing stigma, removing the stigma around mental health with open discussions on these topics, um, prioritizing wellness by ensuring that we get enough sleep, um, adopting a growth mindset towards learning and teaching, uh, focusing on gratitude and having clear boundaries between school and the rest of your life. All these can help to improve your mental health uh, for, for students and for teachers alike. While well, we've covered a great deal on this topic, all thanks to you and giving us this refreshing perspective and insight that I believe will be very helpful for both parents, educators and community members. Khadija, I'm wondering if you have any last words on this topic that you would like to add before we prepare to, to close off with this interview, please. So for some final words on the topic, uh, yes, parenting, a teen, it's, it's one of the most tricky times as a parent. You know, one minute they're the sweet little child that you remember and the next minute they are just rolling your eyes at you. And it can be a bit of a roller coaster. For me, it, it was always a roller coaster, it still is. But there are ways in which we can navigate through the teenagers. You know, if we just kind of compare to a plane journey, it, it, that's quite a good analogy for parenting of a teen. Uh, sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's bumpy, but with navigation, you know, we can definitely go through the course of these years. And remember also that it's a difficult time for teens too. It's not only difficult for parents, but it's difficult for them um, as well. And the best thing that we could do is be a good co-pilot. You know, just be there to support them, um, help them learn from their mistakes and achievements, uh, share responsibilities, make them independent. Uh, don't fear letting go. I think that's a big one. You know, we have this fear of letting go and um, we need to let them spread their wings and fly. And remember, the most important thing is you are a role model. If you, you want your teen to learn how to be strong, independent, then you need to show them how to be one you have to show them how a strong independent adult is done um, remember you are the absolutely number one role model and after all they love with you they watch you every day so it's very important that you um, be a good role model um, and remember also this is the last part of their childhood with you uh, cherish it embrace it uh, you become a little bit more emotional at the thought that you know your teen is growing up so quickly. But stay involved in their life, share in their achievements, enjoy the things that they're discovering and that they become so thrilled about. And um, with, with all this, it's, you know, just take it as a privilege to be part of their life and that you are honored to have this teen and to be able to mold them and they are given to you in trust. So embrace it and look after it. And with that, our time with you today has come to a close, but we do look forward to connecting with you later in this year on topics that matter for our youth, for our students and our community, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for your time with us today.
And I'm wondering if we could ask you for one piece of advice. What would your advice be to the learners of 2023? Let us know. And some advice to the learners of 2023. Someone once told me, uh, save money every week. It doesn't matter how much, you know, just try and save. Listen to your parents' advice. At the end of the day, they are the ones who want what's best for you. And we spoke about peer pressure. Choose your friends wisely as you are a product of your environment. Learn to be alone. Learn to become independent. It's a skill that only a few can master. And most importantly, educate yourself. Read, read, and read. Be healthy and look after your body. And don't wait for someone to love you. Learn to love yourself first. And you will be okay. Jazakallah khairan for letting me be part of the program. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And we thank our guest for today, Sister Khadija Muhammad, an educator, life coach, and psychological counselor on the topic of navigating the teenage years. Sister Khadija, Jazakumullah Khair, it was a pleasure having you join us today and we learned so much from you on this topic. That brings us then to the close of another edition of Revival in Motion. Please do join us again next week as we continue exploring ways and means in which we can bring our faith to life through an Islamic lifestyle. If you have any ideas or guests that you would encourage or recommend we uh, interview, please let us know by emailing us to hana at radioislamlive.com. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and in your efforts to begin preparing the heart for Ramadan. Until next week then, Jazakumullahu khairan for listening in and Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.